What is up, Thrive Tribe? I am so excited for you to listen to today's episode with Rachel Havacost. And I first stumbled across Rachel's content on TikTok a few months ago, and I was immediately intrigued because she talks so intelligently and eloquently about healing inner child wounds. And I think that's something that we can all relate to because we've all been wounded in some capacity. We all have traumas, big and small, that are somehow holding us back from stepping into our full power and potential as adults. So I'm really excited for you to listen to today's show. And when we recorded this, the podcast was still called the Energy Exchange Podcast. So that's why you might hear that mentioned in the intro, but I'm really stoked for you to get some value from this and use these tools to make 2021 the best year of your fucking life. Let's do this, fam. As always, if this show brings you any value, share it with a friend. Share it with a family member who might be experiencing some trauma and struggling to overcome those obstacles. I promise you by sharing this message, you're making a huge impact in the world and you're also helping out the show because our mission is to impact and empower as many people as possible with the tools that they didn't learn in school. Here at Thrive University, we stand for a world that is healthy, happy, grateful, and you are a huge part of that mission. So thank you so much and enjoy today's show. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Energy Exchange Podcast. I am your host and Chief Energy Officer, Jeremy Abramson. And ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I have such a special treat for you today. I have Miss Rachel Havacost. And Rachel is a healing writer and mentor empowering women to heal from developmental trauma and reclaim joy and peace. Infusing tools and knowledge from her time as a therapist, Rachel shares her own healing journey and coming into herself after years of depression, anxiety, and an eating disorder. Rachel, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Jeremy. It's so good to be here. Yes, I'm so grateful to have you. Um, Just to give everyone listening and watching a little context, I first stumbled upon your content on TikTok and it immediately stood out to me because I feel like you are speaking about things that a lot of people need, healing the inner child. And I'm just curious, what triggered you to go down that path? Um. You know, I've been I've been in therapy um, for almost 16 years now, and um, and it wasn't until I found my therapist a year ago that I was introduced to this idea of the inner child, mm-hmm. and um, and it was really really pivotal for me in my own healing journey to begin to witness my um, my experiences in life and my reactions to the world around me through the lens of my little inner child, little Rachie, who was just trying to do the best that she can in the world with the tools that she had. And it offered me so much more space to have self-compassion and self-acceptance in a way that I had really struggled to have for 
almost 14 years. Um, and so it was a really big impetus for me to reduce shame around my experiences in life and, and have a lot of acceptance. And that was, that allowed me the space to move forward in a, in a way that I hadn't really been able to before. And so I just felt really strongly that it was something that other people should have the opportunity to learn about because while there is so much excellent content on social media, um, about therapy and about mental health. A lot of it is really focused on cognitive behavioral therapy, mindfulness, um, and sort of more specific like self-care tools, which are all really important and valuable. Um, but those are, those sort of scratch the surface in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't seeing a whole lot on social media that really tapped into the really, really deep work and the deep, um, the underlying part of where all of these sort of experiences come from before there's ever a need for the cognitive behavioral therapy, which sort of comes on top, almost like a bandaid, um, in my personal opinion. So, um, so it kind of came from a place of me wanting to share a, my experience of my own healing journey, but also tools that I felt should be readily available to everyone. So. Yeah, well, I, I really appreciate you. And there's a lot of directions we can take this. It's really interesting to me that this idea of the inner child was just introduced to you a year ago when you said you've been practicing for 16 years. Okay. Um, I'm just curious because like when you just go and you see kids playing so care carefree and so so just in the moment, no judgment, full compassion, full presence, like what happens along the way in this human experience where we just lose all connection to that? Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot happens. Um, and there's sort of, I, I sort of like to think of it as sort of two different threads. One is, um, you know, our parents do the very best they can with the tools they have to, to raise us. Um, and most, most adult humans in this world carry their own trauma, carry their own wounds from childhood, um, carry their own beliefs that are harmful or hurtful to themselves and to people around them. And those, those get passed on in childhood. And um, if, you know, if, if I carry my own, my own trauma or my own inner child wounds, um, I might not be able to show up in ways that my child might need me to um, mm -hmm. in really pivotal times in their life. Um, so for example, if my, you know, during the time period of, let's say like two to four, when my kiddo hopefully is learning that they can start to do things on their own, but still lean on me for support. If I have my own anxiety, my own depression, I might not really be prepared or available to my child during that learning period of their life, during that developmental task, which means my kiddo has to figure out how to do that on their own. And they're, they're three years old. They don't have the cognitive maturity or, or emotional maturity to figure those things out. So they do the best they can. And, and those, that's what we kind of call a, an inner child wound is when they, they try themselves to figure out how to get those needs met, those developmental needs. Um, but they're a child and they don't know how. And so these kind of turn into um, adaptations or coping mechanisms that continue on all the way into adulthood. Um, and for, for a kid at that age, it could be something like, well, um, I have to do everything by myself. I'm never going to get any help. So mm -hmm. as adults, we try and do everything our, on our own. We resist or refuse support when it's offered to us. Um, 
we might become somebody who thinks I just don't have any needs. So like, I don't really care what happens because my needs aren't, aren't existent or they don't matter. Um, and these show up in our relationships. They show up in how we see ourselves. They show up in how we see others. Um, and they show up in lots of different ways. So that's kind of one branch. And then the other branch is our, is our society. Let me, let me interject just for a second while like, okay. Cause, cause you're dropping so much wisdom <laughs> and I feel like, Okay, so so let me just interject while it's in, in in my mind. So so basically, what you're saying is we have all these different experiences as a child, and these kind of create our subconscious program that we're operating on, and maybe not even with that awareness. Like, oh my gosh, that behavior or that emotion is actually coming from something way back when I was, you know, five, six years old, is there any, like in, in all of the studying and knowledge and research you've done, like when do these wounds that you talk about, when do they start to really become noticeable at what age? Um, you know, it's, it's, it's different for everyone. There's not really like a true science about like, this is the age when you'll know that this is X, Y, and Z is happening. Um, it's different for everyone and it, and not everyone is impacted by the same thing. So mm. two, two kids in this, at the same age could have the same experience and one of them could sustain an inner child wound and one of them could not for, for a variety of reasons. Um, and so there's not really some hard and fast rule about this is the age when we know that there's, there's issues. Um, mm. sometimes it can happen at the time of the wound. It, it can be the behavior of the child can become noticeable. Um, or it's not until we're adults and we keep repeating the same patterns in relationships over and over. And we start to question why, like, why do I keep doing the same thing? Why do I keep... Um, you know, entering into relationships with people that are emotionally unavailable. And then as soon as they become available, pushing them away, away, why do I keep doing that? Um, so sometimes it, we don't know until we're adults. Um, so there's not really like a, this is the age when, it. when it's presented. Yeah. But I, I think overall, thanks for clarifying that. I think like overall, a lot and myself included, and, and a lot of us, we underestimate the importance that one word or one sentence or one action, one behavior or lack thereof can have on the long-term development and mentality of a kid. Um, and I cut you off when you were about to go into that second tangent. So feel free to go back. My bad. No, it's all good. I think I just want to touch on one thing you just said too, which is like, I think especially when we talk about inner child um, wounds and inner child healing, uh, I want to also be clear that with parents, there can be a lot of pressure in that context to be like, oh my God, well, so how do I not screw up my child? Like mm. if there is just like one word I could say to them or one time when I'm not attentive enough or, you know, am I going to mess up my kid? And the answer is you, you only have to get it right about 30% of the time. So so for parents who might be listening, who suddenly might think, oh my gosh, like, so now I have to be this perfect parent or my kid is going to grow up all messed up or, oh, I have my own stuff. So that must be impacting them. Yes. And you only really need to get it right about 30% of the time. Um, and I think people forget to kind of mention that. And um, so I just wanted to, to put that in there too. Um, 
So the second sort of the second sort of thread that I was going to talk about earlier is so there's our parents and and that's sort of like one experience, but then the other one is our is our society and our systems and our mm-hmm. culture. And we live in a we live in a society that is very individualistic that focuses on success that focuses on achievement um, and. That there's a lot of misogyny and racism and uh, oppression and all of these things funnel down into our school systems, um, our you know the way that adults in our life when we're kiddos think things are supposed to be, mm. our values, um, how we think about money, how we think about community, how we think about all these different things, and a lot of, and a lot of those in that respect, we can also sustain inner child wounds. Um, when we start to learn more about our society and the systems and the way that we're supposed to fit in and the things that we're supposed to do in order to be loved, be accepted, be um, considered equal, be worthy um, for our identities to be accepted. Um, And when those things aren't, when we aren't allowed to express ourselves in those ways or to, um, to believe that we can just be who we are as we are and still be loved, um, or that we get to rest or that we get to play um, and have those values that aren't necessarily intrinsic in our society. Mm. Those can be, those can be spaces when we sustain wounds as well. Yeah. Something you just said really hit home and resonated is like, we, I feel like we all just have an innate desire to be accepted and loved as we are. And like you mentioned, through this human experience, whether it's from parents or society, we're rewarded for certain actions, we're reprimanded for others, and naturally, the ones that we're rewarded for, we're going to repeat. Mm-hmm. And I know I've been, I've definitely, something I'm working through is like not having the need for external validation, whether that be from a woman, from my parents, you know, and I'm improving at it, but I feel like a lot of that stems kind of from these compounded experiences as we grow up. Uh, And I know you've had your fair share of challenges. um, And I appreciate that you're willing to share, you know, openly, it really does mean the world because I know by you sharing, that's empowering other people to be vulnerable and, and share their experiences because that's ultimately how we learn and we, and we heal together. Um, So, so, you talk about the power of self-healing, mm-hmm. right? The truth that we are already whole. And a lot of people would say, no, like I'm broken. I need to be fixed. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, I mean, there's so much I could say about that. Um, you know, I, I've recently come to believe that we, I mean, we're, we're born completely perfect, right. And good and whole and worthy. And somewhere along the way, something chips away at us or hurts us or, um, leads us to believe that that's not true. And so for me, this whole concept of self-healing is a, is a returning to that truth. It's a rediscovering of what we were born with, which is, being exactly perfect, right, and good as we are, and not needing to perform, succeed, um, seek validation, uh, you know, really do anything in order to be completely whole. And I think the the concept of being broken or needing to be fixed um, 
is also one that is, is culturally embedded in us. And Mm -hmm. because our economy thrives on, on people feeling broken, if I'm broken and I need to be fixed, then I'll buy a solution. And there's this perfect system that, that, you know, exists for that. Um, so I've sort of begun to practice a rejection of that and, and then questioning how can we still show up for each other and help each other and support each other in a way that is more about communal support, community, um, healing in numbers, healing together, rather than I have the solution to your problem and I'm going to fix and save you. Mm. Because that is a constant looking outside of myself for an answer rather than looking within. Mm. And there's this piece that goes, and I actually literally just made a post about this today, which is so ironic. Um, there's it's not ironic. It's just exactly how it's, it's supposed to be. Universe. The synchronicities, Rachel, are real. Yes. Which is that I was, I was so mistaken for, for a lot of this year about self-healing because I had this notion that it meant I had to do it all by myself, mm. that I was doing it alone. And that's not true. Self-healing is not solo healing. It is, it is garnering the wisdom and the intuition within me to know that I have the tools and the resources to support myself and care for myself. And I do those things in the safety of others in the relationship and the context of relationship with others, because we're biologically hardwired to be in tribes, to be in communities, to be social, to connect with others. Um, that's in our DNA. And so to deny that would, would not really be returning to that birth knowing of I'm perfect, whole, right, and good. And I belong and I'm connected. And those pieces have, have been really important for me like in the last week and will be really important for me moving forward. Mm, okay. And I agree with everything you're saying. And then this is where I like, I'm curious to know your opinion because we're talking about, hey, you're perfect, whole and complete, just the way you are. Okay. This is the way you were born, full divinity intact. However, I think sometimes, especially with the self-love movement being stronger than I, than I remember it ever being before and everyone preaching self-love, which I'm 100% on board for, but there's also the point of like, okay, I'm unhappy with this part of my life, right? I'm 30 pounds overweight and I'm diabetic. I want to make a change, but you're saying I'm whole, perfect, and complete. Like, should I accept the way I am? And I think there's some confusion about that. And people, they're like, oh, I don't need to do anything. Like self-love, I accept myself fully. Mm-hmm. So can you, can you kind of distinguish between those mindsets in, in that particular situation? Absolutely. Yeah. And that's something that I really struggled with for a while too. Um, and to me, it's, it's really like, um, if you, if you truly love yourself and if you truly feel perfect, right, whole and good, then that means that you get to do whatever feels good for you. And if what feels good for you is losing 30, 30 pounds so that you don't have, um, so that your diabetes improves. Beautiful. If you, um, you know, if you're not happy with a relationship in your life and you want to question if it's the right thing for you, amazing. If you decide I really want to change career paths and try something new because I'm curious about this, this other thing. Lovely. And the question I always ask people is who are you doing it for? Mm. Are you doing it for yourself? Are you doing it for your parents? Are you doing it for your partner? 
Are you doing it for strangers you've never met, but who somehow you feel like have some opinion of you? Right. Are you doing it for your social media following? Are you doing, you know, who are you doing it for? Mm. And then, and just getting curious about that. And again, not having judgment for any of the, the answers, because I still answer that question with things that have nothing to do with me all the time. I, you know, I, I'm still unconditioning a lot of things in my head. So mm. there's, there's tons of times where I think I want to do this. And I, and I ask myself, well, who am I doing it for? And the answer is, um, people I've never met who might walk by me on the street and then think a certain thing about me. And I go, Oh, that's interesting. And there's just a, it's a having curiosity and mindfulness about it without judgment, without attachment, and then allowing yourself to, if, you know, if the answer is for somebody else, are you okay with that being the reason that you do something? Can you still love yourself and still accept who you are? Great. If it's for me, then, then wonderful. Then I'm doing something for myself because I love myself. And so I want to do something for me. Um, and, and so I think it's not necessarily an either or or a black and white. And I think that there can, there can be confusion around, well, if I'm, if I'm perfect the way I am, then I don't, I just don't have to do anything. And that to me is, is sort of, is, is missing the whole point, which is that if I am perfect and good the way I am, then that means that all of my decisions I, you know, I get to start making those decisions from a place of really honoring and loving myself. Mm, you can just go for it. Like you don't have to worry about fucking failing and losing your self-worth yeah. because your self-worth isn't attached to some outcome or, or some result. You already have that strong foundation is what you're saying. And now you can really stretch yourself like, Hey, let me go learn about this or Hey, let me, try this new, this new workout or this new nutrition, whatever it is that's going to challenge and challenge my capacity. Is that kind of what you're saying? You a hundred percent. You nailed it. Let's exactly. go. Yes. 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 And this is truthfully, this is the process that most that like in childhood, we are supposed to actually move through developmentally. We start with a sense of feeling safety. We start with a sense of belonging and trust. And then we start to use that as a foundation so that we can explore so that we can take risks so we can try new things we can experiment with identity we can experiment with different social groups we can try out you know climbing to the top of the playground and finding out what the limit is um, mm. we enter into relationships and we hurt people and then we experience what it's like to repair and to take responsibility um, you know we we start to go out and learn new skills and try new things and expand all of our you know all of our abilities and that's that's the beauty of starting with that foundation is we then are able to move out and away from it while holding the truth of none of these risks I take, none of these failures, none of these setbacks, none of these, you know, interpersonal problems are going to change the truth of I am whole. Mm. Okay. Um, yes. And I, and I feel like honestly, this conversation like that we just had provided great clarity and context about self-love, self-care, and what it actually means in context that you're whole, perfect, and complete. And um, for those of you listening, it's like, think about actual like self-love on a deep level. If you are continually perpetuating these same decisions that you know aren't contributing towards your overall health, your happiness, your fulfillment, 
maybe in that present moment, you get that dopamine hit. It feels good. You're satisfying an emotional need, but your higher self, uh, your best self, your whole self probably would not be aligned with that in the long run. Um, and I'm curious to know, Rachel, because again, we mentioned in the bio, like you've gone through it all. It seems like eating disorders, depression, anxiety, a panic disorder, suicidality, um, you know, challenging relationships. So I know that's a lot to chew on. Um, we can take that however you want. So what were some of the strategies maybe that you implemented early on, maybe that weren't as effective and successful in your healing journey? And then what are some of the things that really did work and transcended your experience? Well, I think, you know, early on I had zero tools. Um, mm -hmm. So I was diagnosed with anorexia when I was 15 years old and my parents had me go to therapy and see a nutritionist. And I was like, I was anti-therapy. I was anti-getting better. I was like, this is crazy. I don't need to go. I don't need to go to therapy. I don't need any of this. So I was really resistant to any type of support um, for several years. And, and then I started in college is when I really had my first bout of severe depression. And I still, I still had zero tools. So I was actually coping with my depression with my eating disorder. So I was wow. using my eating disorder as a way to cope with my depression. Was it still um, anorexia? Uh, at that time, it had developed from anorexia to bulimia and binge eating disorder. And so it was, mm -hmm. I mean, at that time, they would have classified it as um, EDNOS, which stands for eating disorder, not otherwise specified. They've since changed a lot of the names of the um, eating disorder diagnoses. Um, and I started, um, I started using alcohol to cope with my depression. Um, and it, everything just became really, really hazy because I just had no skills whatsoever. Um, and so I was using, I was really using food and alcohol as ways for me to cope. Um, and they weren't, they weren't effective. They were short-term effective, like for a couple hours, but in the long term, I mean, I was, I was struggling for six or seven years. Mm. And, and it wasn't until I went to, I went to an eating disorder treatment program for several months. It was like an intensive program, um, when I was 25 and I learned dialectical behavior therapy, um, which is I'll, I'll call DBT, um, which I'd never heard of before. And yeah. I actually learned the, one of the biggest skills I actually learned, which is, which I now laugh at because I can't believe I never learned this in life was how to identify my feelings. So when I started going to therapy, my therapist would ask, what do you, you know, what are you feeling today? And I would say, I feel fine or I don't feel good or I feel bad. And my therapist would say, well, those aren't emotions. Um, do you know how to identify your emotions? And I would say, like, no, I don't, what do you mean? I don't know what you're talking about. And they gave me an emotions wheel or a feelings wheel, which I use to this day. And every day before mealtime, I was asked to check in with my feelings and to look at the wheel and say, this is the emotion I feel. And that was really, really pivotal for me because it showed me what I was actually experiencing in the moment. And I started to be able to go, okay, well, I, this is a feeling I experienced so how do I then cope with this particular feeling? Because that's going to look different than if I'm having this feeling. Mm. And I started to be able to also sort of notice a trend of, oh, 
uh, at this time of day, I really feel this feeling a lot. Or when these things happen, I tend to have this emotion quite a bit. And so I was starting to be able to make these pathways and connections between what was happening in my life and what kind of emotion it would bring up for me. So that was a really big, a big tool for me. And I, and I held on to that for a long time. Um, what were some of the, real quick, Rachel, what were some yeah. of the, what were some of the common threads that you picked up on there? Like what emotions led to what certain behaviors? Um, I felt a lot of shame all the time. Shame about your body? About everything. I felt shame about my feelings. I felt shame about my behaviors and my actions. I felt, um, I felt guilt about my, my behaviors and how I believed that my life had impacted my family negatively. Mm. Um, I felt guilt about, um, you know, I felt guilt about money. I felt guilt about, um, uh, my, my mental illness, making it, uh, difficult for me to complete school. Um, mm. and, and there's guilt a lot of fucking guilt, Rachel. Damn. So much, yeah. So much guilt. And, and the guilt and the shame kept me stuck because, as long as I was feeling guilty and as long as I was ashamed, I couldn't move on. I couldn't move forward. And so I was just living in those emotions for a very, very long time. So when you would feel, when you would feel like this above average entourage, arbitrage of guilt and shame, is that when you would usually go on your binges? Um, oh gosh, I'm trying to think. No, I think, I think shame and guilt usually would follow a binge. I think before, like if usually mm -hmm. the impetus for me doing any type of binge eating was feeling lonely, um, feeling depressed or feeling, um, empty. So almost there was a sense of, of longing for human connection, um, or a sense of emptiness or loneliness and eating was a way for me to fill that emptiness. What was your relationship with food as like a little girl? I liked to eat, um, but I was, you know, I think my relationship was probably like most kids. I, I liked food. I was picky about some things. I, I ate at mealtime and like looked forward to ice cream for dessert. Um, hey. You know, mint chocolate chip. Oh, I was <laughs> going to say cookie dough. You strike me as a cookie dough type of guy. Oh, I'm definitely a cookie dough. Okay, yes, I knew it. I knew it. Yeah. My intuition yeah, steered me correctly again. Um, okay. So Rachel, 25 years old, you said that is when you went to that rehab and you learned kind of how to evaluate your emotions and tie those to your behaviors. And then what happened? Uh, so I learned a lot of other really important skills, um, like mindfulness, um, how to regulate my emotions. So when I was having a distressful emotion, what to actually do with the emotion or about the emotion. Um, I learned how to communicate my feelings and ask for my needs, which I never had, I just had never done before. Um, and, and so after that, I, uh, at the time I was teaching theater to middle schoolers and they were experiencing a lot of anxiety and depression. And so the, the sort of tandem experience of going through my own, um, uh, recovery and, and feeling like I couldn't quite offer the support these teens needed that I was working with. I decided to go get my master's in mental health counseling so that I could pay it forward and also try and support, um, 
younger, younger kids who I, I felt I related to in a lot of ways from my own teenage years. Mm-hmm. Um, so I moved to Eastern Washington and, uh, got my master's in mental health counseling. Um, and I was providing therapy to in a community mental health organization to folks with borderline personality disorder. Um, and the population is highly suicidal. Um, and most of my clients were either homeless or, um, using DHS services to survive. So is this in Spokane? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh, my brother lives there. Oh, really? Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. He went to Gonzaga. Okay. Nice. Yeah. I was at Eastern Washington university. Wow. That's okay. A lot of directions, a lot of questions I want to ask you from that experience. Okay. So, so continue. Um, so I, so I was providing therapy for about six months, I think. And I was falling apart. I would come home crying. I could not stop thinking about my client's stories. Um, I, I started to think like, who am I to be providing therapy? I'm just a second year grad student. This is, this is ridiculous. I don't know what I'm doing. I can't help these people. I'm incapable. I don't have enough information. I'm never going to make a difference. And I, I, this web of stories just started to unfold and I started having panic attacks at work. Um, I started having panic attacks at home. I was having panic attacks at school. Um, and my anxiety levels were so, so, so high and my eating disorder just came rampant right back up, um, to cope. And, and all of the tools that I had learned and that I had been using just sort of like fell apart and fell to the wayside. And, um, and so I had to make a really difficult decision and I decided to withdraw from my program like four months before graduating and withdraw from providing counseling. Because at that point I felt like it wasn't ethical for me to be sitting with clients when I was dealing with my own stuff, um, at such a heavy level. So I left school and spent like the next year doing a lot of looking inward um, and a lot of crying and a lot of writing and a lot of reading and a lot of meditating. Um, It was the first time I'd ever been connected to spirituality in any way. My, my girlfriend sent me uh, Gabrielle Bernstein's the universe has your, your back deck. And I'd never really been introduced to this whole concept of the universe before. And so I just spent the next year kind of in this very strange space of rediscovering myself, myself, my sense of self, rediscovering the tools I had learned, discovering new tools, finding my spirituality. And then at the end of that year, my husband and I sold all of our stuff and went on a year long motorcycle journey to Latin America. Um, <laughs> Yo, 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 I am sorry for interrupting today's show, but are you ready to take your movement, mindset, and nutrition to the next level? Well, if you answered yes, I have great fucking news. I am accepting applications for my 12-week one-on-one coaching program called Thrive. And this program is unlike anything you've ever experienced. You get daily one-on-one access with me. You're going to have my personal number. I'm going to hold you accountable. I'm going to call you out on your shit. But here's the thing. Only apply if you are ready to invest in yourself. This program is 
not for everyone. I only work with five students at a time. So if you're interested, DM me the word thrive on Instagram at Coach Jeremy 305. DM me the word thrive at Coach Jeremy 305 right now. Now let's get back to the show. So there was like this sort of snowball effect of things that happened afterwards. Um, and then a year ago, I found myself in Bali for about three years or sorry, three months and, um, and started to dive much more deeply into, um, how I could start to share what I was going through, but also the tools that I had with the public. And that's when I started my blog. That's when I started kind of showing up a little bit more on Instagram. And, um, and now a year later, here I am in Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. All right. We'll, 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 we'll slowly bridge this gap that you somehow yeah. created for us. So, okay. Let me go back to Eastern Washington. And mm-hmm. first of all, I want to just reference, I think it's very cool. And I think it's also a common theme that I see in like the health, wellness and healing space is you were hurting so much. You had that experience where you learned a lot of tools at 25. And then you kind of made that decision. Like I've been helped by these tools. And now I want to serve others and share these gifts with other people so they don't have to experience what I did. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. And I just want to encourage everyone listening and watching right now, like think about whatever you're experiencing right now, the adversity, the obstacles, and maybe it seems like it's just a never ending hamster wheel, right? Like shit's just hitting the fan nonstop, but, but your, your adversity might actually become your advantage. And that I think is certainly the case with you. And it seems so full circle. What was the gap? (laughs) Just so I have an understanding, like Mm -hmm. between that year in Eastern Washington and then between Bali, because I feel like there's like some missing space. There's the motorcycle thing in Latin America. Mm -hmm. Okay which sounds fucking epic. We can talk about that later. Uh, so, so it seems like this last year in Bali, last year, like you really started to find your voice more and like speak your truth. So what was it that you found in Bali that allowed you to do that? Because I think a lot of people listening right now maybe have a story to share. In fact, I know they have a story to share, but they're struggling to really have the confidence to go out and do it. Yeah. I mean, I think there was a lot of things at play. Um, I had already been writing for quite a long time. So I started blogging maybe like 10 years ago. Um, Mm. and my blog was public, but I wasn't, it was, you know, that was at the time when like everybody had a WordPress and people were just like writing their thoughts out. And that was sort of like, that was the Instagram caption of the day, you know? Um, so I wasn't like trying to get anyone to see it, but I also wasn't trying for people not to see it. It was a public blog and it was a way for me to express my thoughts, for me to work through and process my feelings about things. Um, And so I'd always been quite public and transparent with my mental health um, and with my storytelling. So, um, but I had, but I had not really 
um, allowed myself to be seen as much as I am now. Um, and I think that when I went to Bali, so when I went to Bali, it was, it was almost a year ago, exactly now. Um, my husband and I had decided that we needed to take some time apart and I wanted, I wanted to go somewhere where I could reclaim a sense of independence. So I didn't want to go home, um, because we had sold everything, didn't have a house. So I knew if I went home, I'd be living with one of my parents and that wouldn't really feel like as a 30 year old, I would be getting that sense of independence and autonomy and freedom that I wanted. Um, and we had been to Bali earlier that year for a wedding and I had just really loved the energy there. And so I thought, I'll, you know, I'll just go to Bali. I'll go to Bali alone and we'll just see what happens. And it was, it was really one of the, the hardest decisions I've ever had to make in my life. And it was for the first month, I was really a wreck um, and very lonely. And I, and I learned a lot about how dependent I, I had become in all of my relationships and how, how little I knew how to take care of myself as a full grown woman. I just, I had very little ability to take care of my, of my own needs. Um, and so there was a lot of like very fast learning that had to happen because I was by myself and in a foreign country and had basically no money. We'd run most of our money dry. And, um, and I just started writing a lot. I just started writing and writing and writing and writing. And, um, the feedback I kept getting was, um, thank you for writing this. I feel less alone. Thank you for writing this. I feel less alone. And I realized, you know, my whole, for, for a long time when I was engaging in counseling or when I was a teacher, or when I went back to school to get my master's, a lot of what I wanted was for people to feel less alone in their experiences. And growing up, I, I felt just so alone. I felt like I was the only person having the thoughts I was feeling. I was the only person thinking about my body the way I was thinking about it. I was the only person with, with X feeling and Y feeling. And I, I often asked myself, what do I wish someone had said to me or done for me growing up? What, what, what could I have possibly have heard? Um, and I actually had the national eating disorder awareness, um, organization had me do a speech at one of their walks when I was living in Spokane. And I remember thinking, you know, the one thing I wish I could have heard was you're not alone. Like you are not alone. And so I think getting that feedback was a reminder to me that expressing my, myself, telling my story, um, and being unashamed for my life and, and the experiences I've had, um, is really just a, an opportunity for other people to feel less alone and for me to feel less alone and for us to connect on that level. And, and, and there's no, there's no need for me to show up quote unquote perfectly or without flaw or without failure or, or having to know everything because I don't, I don't know everything. And I, I do mess up and I do make mistakes, but that's what it means to be human. And those are things that people actually really connect about and, 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 enjoy hearing. And so I think allowing myself to be in that really, really messy space and like live in the messy and also share the messy was, um, I think something that gave me a lot of, uh, 
I guess courage, but also it made me feel safe to begin expressing myself because I no longer had to arrive somewhere before I was able to tell my story. I didn't have to solve anything before I started sharing my life. I could mm. just share it. I love it. So your your preferred mode of communication naturally was as a writer. Mm-hmm. And yeah. through and through doing that, especially it sounds like that first month where you made the decision, like, Hey, I think it's good that we just take time apart from each other. I want to kind of find myself is when you really found your like codependency tendencies. Yeah. That was a nice little, that was a nice run. Codependency (laughs) tendencies. Yeah. And, and it can, and it allowed you to cultivate that, that clarity on what to speak about. And I think that's so important. Like you are not alone and you built a tribe through writing, right? And I know that's a big part of your healing approach is like having that support system. So who are some of the people in your life that provided you that level of support and accountability during your journey? Well, there's been different people at different phases. Um, you know, I think for... Um, for the first maybe um, several years of my life, it was my husband. Mm. Um, uh, and in the last, you know, six or seven years, it's been this core group of, of friends I have who, um, who, I all, who I met when I was in college. We actually all, our friendship is really unique and special. Um, we have a lot of matching tattoos. We all live in different parts of the, the country. And um, we actually met and formed our sort of bond over the death of a, a mutual friend. Mm. And, um, and so that we have a very special connection and that's, they've always been a huge support system for me. Um, Where did you go to school, by the way? I went to school uh, in New York at NYU. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this last year, my mom has been an incredible support for me. Um, we've actually worked very hard on our relationship. It hasn't always been the way it is now. Mm-hmm. And it's been really incredible to have her in my corner. Um, my, 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 I have a twin cousin who was born the day after me. She's always been an incredible support. Um, my current therapist is an amazing human and I could not, you know, be in the space I am without her. Um, Sorry for cutting you off. Um, So, so that totally makes sense that like at different times, Mm -hmm. different people, like I'm sure if I saw your videos three years ago, I would have been like, who the fuck is Rachel and what the fuck is inner child healing. Right. So I, that, that completely makes sense to me that like timing is such a huge part of this. Now for those people listening, um, especially during these times, you know, who are feeling alone, what are, what are some things they can take action on? And I'm also curious, like, what are some of the most common things that people are coming to you, to you, you know, expressing these last six to nine months in which we've kind of forced to be lonely in a way? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really hard right now um, to feel connected and, um, for, for folks who already felt lonely, this is an added layer. That's really, really difficult. 
mm-hmm. for folks that haven't felt lonely and suddenly are, are in their homes all day long um, or not connecting with people at work because they're working from home. This is the first time that you might be experiencing that loneliness and it's hard. So I just first want to acknowledge that it, it is difficult. And if you're struggling with it, it's okay. You're not supposed to be better at it or somewhere else or further along. Um, and I think, you know, technology is fantastic and beautiful. And if you can find ways to connect with friends, um, via zoom or FaceTime and get that, that eye contact and that face-to-face mirroring is really, really valuable. Um, and, um, so I know that seems sort of basic, but it's, it still is, uh, an effective way to connect with other humans. Um, I also think that if you can, I know, again, this is not accessible to everyone, so there's not a one size fits all, but connecting to nature is a really valuable way to get that sense of connection, which can, can fulfill that feeling of, of loneliness when we connect to nature, whether it's putting your feet in the grass or in sand or in water, um, getting outside and really making an effort to observe any nature around you, whether it's trees, birds, squirrels, um, and like making an effort to actually connect with that living being or or that living plant um, as an extension of the planet we live on and feeling some sense of connection in that way that we all came from this planet. Um, That's one one way to, to, to feel a sense of connection. Um, sorry, I have something stuck in my throat. Um, another one is getting connected to your own physical body. So there's lots of, <coughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry. No worries, Rachel. I felt bad too. I was like trying to adjust this mic and like get this frame. So like the sun's not like beaming on my face. You're all good. Like the shadows. No, you're good. Are you, um, are you getting better? Yeah. Yeah. So, Amazing. um, So connecting to your own physical body, whether it's through yoga, mindfulness, or meditation, um, I think, I think we forget sometimes that our, you know, our, our modes and our means of connection are not it's with our soul spirit bodies. Um, so finding ways to access those different points, um, especially right now when we don't all have access to the same things, we don't all have access to physical humans or virtual humans. We don't all have access to nature, um, but we do all have access to our physical bodies. So, um, I've found that meditation has been a really powerful way for me to feel like I am connected to myself, connected to higher consciousness, which then makes me feel connected to other people, um, and feeling connected to my, my sense of source or the universe in some way, um, which makes me feel like I am less alone. Mm, That's really powerful. And it almost seems like full circle when we build that connection with ourselves, with our body, with our breath, with nature, it's taking away some of the dependency on like, I need this person to fulfill this desire, right? Like you're so right about that. Like, especially squirrels, squirrels are fucking fascinating. They're like, they're so, first of all, they're really cute. And like, you can really kind of sense their energy. Like sometimes though, if if they vibe with you, like they'll come up, they'll come like right next to you and just kind of chill. That's how I know I'm in a good space when like the squirrel wants to come kick it. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Yeah. You know, that's your energy. (laughs) 
So what are some, what are a couple other, maybe not so traditional practices, like simple, like self-care routine things that you've implemented that have made a huge impact in your life and some of your clients' lives? So super simple. Um, I have a morning routine, which is something I have all my clients do, which means for the I have a morning routine, which is something I have all my clients do, which means for the first 30 purely focused on my energetic needs. Um, so I wake up and I have hot lemon water for my digestion because I have some digestion of issues. And then I have my coffee, which is my favorite part of the day. And then I sit in my room and I play Krishna Das and I light a candle and I first do my journaling, which is uh, gratitude, affirmations, um, and either like coping ahead for the day or writing some power mantras. Um, then I pull, yeah. Then Can I you pull, share a power mantra? Um, a power mantra would be like, I am infinitely worthy or, <gasps> um, I surrender completely. Ah, let's go. <laughs> so they're just like really short and they're, you can remember them so you can say them throughout the day. Whereas sometimes my affirmations will be a little bit longer. Um, so a power mantra is something that I can just like, I can repeat throughout the day. Um, and then I'll pull a tarot card from my, my deck. And, um, and then I do usually like a five to 10 minute meditation. And that takes that whole experience takes me about 30 minutes. And it's just, it's a way for me to get completely grounded, stabilized and balanced every single day. So it becomes my little foundation. Um, mm. and then the actual practices within it are also really fruitful. So practicing gratitude, practicing affirmations, a little bit of meditation or mindfulness, um, connecting to my sense of spirituality. Um, so the, the, the context of the act itself is stabilizing and grounding. And then the, the things that go in it, the content are also really valuable for my mental health. So this is something I do every day, not every day. I mean, there's days I skip it and there's days where I feel like, Ugh, fuck it, I don't want to do it today. And that's fine. You know, it's not like a perfect system. Um, oh, it's a client, Rachel. Sorry. No, it's my therapist. She's so amazing. She's always checking in on me. How um, important, how important, <laughs> first of all, like question. So back, back in Eastern Washington, when you're going through that program, Mm-hmm. Like, could you have possibly, cause I feel like I, I have some, you know, my dad was a doctor for 40 years and I have some friends who are, who are like in that space and they're kind of on their starting, starting stages of that. And it seems like doctors and health practitioners are probably the most unhealthy stressed people I know, especially right now, but like especially doctors, you just think about that whole medical school grind, the residency, the sleepless nights studying for getting into med school and, mm -hmm. and then becoming a doctor, they probably have student loans, you know, they're working late nights and there's a lot of pressure, right? And I don't think they're really able to express openly like anxiety or depression because then they're not fit to serve. Is that accurate? That they're not fit to serve? Well, like not like 
I'm saying, is that like an accurate, like they, if they wanted to stay in practice, like for instance, you, right. When you were in that stage in Eastern Washington and you felt some of those old triggers happen and you kind of went into some of the old behavior patterns, if you said to them like, Hey, I'm just not in a good place, you know, I would still love to help out and like be a part of this, but like, I'm going through my shit or even like going through med school. I know you didn't go to med school, but like these different things, are you able to express that openly and like be seen and be heard? In my field? Yes. And, and well, I should say in my experience, yes, I've heard, I've heard other folks tell me that they've expressed their, they've had their own mental health things come up in and they were counselors and they've expressed that to their supervisors and that their supervisors were not responsive. Um, I was very fortunate. My supervisor was an incredible human being. And, and I was, I was upfront with her every step of the way. The, you know, the first time I had a panic attack, I was like, Hey, I, I had a panic attack today. Um, and she was like, stay home. We'll take care of your clients. Like you, your mental health comes first. Mm-hmm. Um, so I felt really, really safe to say, you know, these things are happening. This is what's coming up for me. Um, a, I want to be transparent. Um, and B, I need some guidance around when it's, when it's no longer appropriate for me to be sitting with clients. And so I was really lucky because I was, I was very supported and held in my experience. And my supervisor always said to me, you know, I trust you. And, um, if you feel like you can still support clients and, and, and manage your mental health and get the support you need, then we want you here. Um, but if you don't, we support you in in taking time away. So, um, I felt like it was okay for me to, to express what was going on in my life. I honestly feel like that authenticity, like that realness would deepen your connection with your patients, with your clients, because I think a lot of people are like that, that they, that holds a lot of people, especially in this space back, like I don't have enough knowledge or enough wisdom, or I'm going through my shit. How am I supposed to teach this or help other people? Like that's actually your superpower is that you can relate to them on such a deep level. So I'm curious to know, like how healing was that for you to help other people on their healing journey and how, how healing is that continue to be for you? Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it was, and it continues to be just like an honor. Like that's how it feels to me. It feels like an honor. And mm. I think as soon as I was able to realize that, Oh, I don't have to have all of my shit figured out in order to support others and walk the path with them. I don't have to be perfect. I don't have to have all the answers or, or be doing it well all the time. Like I can still like, you know, I can still fall into old patterns or, um, experience depression and anxiety that doesn't make me any less qualified or less capable, um, to show up and be a supportive other. And I think when I was able to make that reframe, the, the practice of supporting other people started to shift and feel really different. And it felt more like, look, I have, I have some tools and I have some knowledge and I've been through some stuff and you have less tools and you're going through some stuff. And so why don't we walk beside each other and I'll share the stuff I have with you. Mm. And, and when you need someone to lean on, I'm the person you can lean on and let's walk together. And I might not always have the answers. And if I don't, you better damn know that I'll go find them for you. And so, Mm. and so having that perspective has allowed me to shift into a space of like, 
oh yeah, like I don't need to, I don't need to know everything at all because nobody knows everything. And if I am waiting for the day that I know everything so that I can help somebody else, I'm never going to help anyone. And, and the, and then no one else is going to help anyone, you know? So, um, yeah, I think just like, and that was, that was what was so difficult for me when I was providing counseling is I couldn't get out of this headspace of, I don't know everything. So I can't, I can't serve anyone. Hmm. And I was so stuck in that space. And so of course I couldn't serve anyone because I believed I couldn't. That's like, that's like the classic case of imposter syndrome, like down to a T. So if you're listening right now, you're watching right now and you feel like you have something to share, but you feel like you're not good enough or you're not smart enough or you're not qualified enough. Like you're always going to be learning like this. That's why I love the space we're in is because it's never ending. Like there's always tools. There's always work to be done. And that's what makes it beautiful. And, and part of this, part of this journey, part of this process. And I know you mentioned how important journaling is for you. And I'm pretty sure you don't, you have your own journal, the self healers journal. Yes. Yep. Amazing. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So, um, it's a 90 day guided journal and I, it's actually the, the practice that I developed while I was traveling in Latin America for Mm. that whole year. Um, and I think it was 2019. Um, and I, I knew that moving every three days that being in a foreign country, that not having any, like any of my own sense of security, not having a therapist, I was like, I need to figure out something to keep me, to keep my anxiety and my depression at, at bay. And so I just started, I started by just doing gratitude in the morning and then I started adding in affirmations and then I added in power mantras and mindfulness. And I kind of cultivated this daily practice that I relied on every single morning. And I called it my, I think I called it like the 12 minute journal because it took me 12 minutes to do. And after about a year I had developed, uh, you know, over 50 some prompts for my journaling practice that I was just using and recycling through. And I thought, well, maybe like, I don't know, maybe someone else might find this beneficial. I'll just, I'll put it into a a journal that's like, you know, bound and sellable and printable and I'll just put it out there. Um, And I've been, I've been so pleasantly surprised with how many people use it and like it. Um, it's actually been really amazing. I honestly thought it would flop. I didn't think any, I thought maybe my mom would buy it. <laughs> uh, now that you guys are best friends, like, you know, right? hey, yeah. yo, um, mom, by the way, cause we're going through this healing, like just buy like a hundred Amazon. Let's yeah. Go. Right. Can you, can you buy a bunch? Um, no. And I've been, I, I've just been really pleasantly surprised, um, with, how many people are using it and still buying it. And, um, I'm actually going to publish a new journal this year. I'm, I'm working on an inner child healing journal. Mm. So I'm excited about that. Um, yeah. So that's the self healers journal. Yeah. And we'll link to that in the show notes. Is it available on Amazon, your website? Yep. So it's, it's on Amazon. Um, you can buy an e version on my website. So if you have your own blank journal, you like to use, you can get the e version. Um, it's also available on IndiePub. So um, if you're looking to support other online businesses, um, IndiePub is another place you can get it right now. Amazing. And we're, we're not done yet, but we're almost done. I have a couple <laughs> final questions for you, but I definitely do want to um, ask you if people, if 
people right now, they want to be part of this tribe that you've created and part of this community. And I'm sure after a lot of people listen to this, they're really going to resonate with your message. So what's the best way to do that? And then is it open to everyone or what, what, just tell us a little more detail about that. So the best way to, to, um, to connect with me is on Instagram. Um, okay. so it's Rachel underscore have a cost and I'm sure Jeremy will have that spelled out for you somewhere. Yeah. Um, I got and, it. uh, I am on TikTok too, Rachel have a cost, but I find Instagram is a, is a space that I'm more easily able to actually connect with the people in my community. Um, and if you want to work with me in any capacity, um, right now, what I'm, I'm doing is mostly one-on-one work. Um, so I have a one-on-one mentorship, um, and it's currently full, but maybe when this comes out, I will have spaces open. Um, and I'm, and I'm constantly looking for more ways for people to be in more close community. Um, and so I'm working on some different things right now, but nothing is set in stone. So I don't want to make any promises, but, um, okay. Instagram is the best way to connect with me. Yeah. Okay, cool. And we'll, we'll of course link to all of that. And Rachel, I just want to acknowledge you because I really am somebody that trusts my intuition so, so much. And it's crazy to me. Or not so crazy, but it's like I saw three or four of your videos and I was like, straight up, I don't really hit any people up to come on my show. I was like, I was like, I need to have her on. I feel like she can help so many people. I feel like she has such a powerful story to share. And I just want to acknowledge you for being so open and honest and sharing with us today because I know by you sharing, it's going to tell people and let people know like they're not alone with the way they're feeling and the things they're experiencing. And by having someone like you step up and be a leader, I think it's so powerful and so necessary, you know, as this whole collective consciousness goes through this big transition. So I really, really acknowledge you for everything you continue doing. And I'm excited to continue our friendship and, um, a couple of final questions for you. Um, favorite emoji. Uh, favorite emoji. Oh goodness. Um, I really like the, um, the little stars. It's like the three little stars that go together in like, a Got it. it's like a sparkle almost. It's universe. <laughs> it's source. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, Oh, and what, the butterfly and the butterfly. I love the butterfly. What does that symbolize to you? What does that represent? Uh, lately I've just been seeing a lot of butterflies. So I've been following them everywhere and, mm. and sort of letting them guide me in, in a lot of ways. Um, so to me, it like symbolizes, um, it symbolizes trust and it symbolizes intuition. Mm, I love that. And what is Rachel's biggest pet peeve? I hate, I hate being interrupted. Like if I'm in a conversation with someone and they just straight up interrupt me like mid sentence, or they ask me a question and then I start to answer and then they immediately start to to ask me a different question or talk about something else. And I want you to know in in a podcast setting, I know that it's your job to interject. So I don't have hard feelings in the podcast setting. Um, but in just like a friendly conversation, it's like a no go for me. (laughs) Yeah. That's a really, that's a really powerful point. Um, I think a majority of people, and I'm guilty of this in the past, we just listen to give our two cents and to interject rather than to actually absorb 
what the person is saying. And this podcast space is honestly like opened that up for me. And I, I literally go back and listen to podcasts from a year, year and a half ago. And I go through and see like the evolution and see what areas I've improved in and still need to. So I appreciate you sharing that. Um, okay. Uh, last question for you. It is your last supper here in the third dimension. Um, now, I also, I actually want to know what are you having for your last supper? What are you going to be eating? And who are the three people that you're going to have at that table with you? They can't be family or um, like close friends. Ooh, okay. Well, I'm definitely having vegan macaroni and cheese, but like a lot. Like if you like, it's as if you made a craft like a craft box of mac and cheese and it's the whole box in the pot, but it's vegan. No binging. <laughs> it's a meal. It's my last meal. It's just True. one pot. Come on. Um, and, and there's a, and a glass of rosé. Um, it's my last meal. Who is there? Uh, Meryl Streep is there. Definitely. Um, who else is there? Uh, it can't be family and it can't be friends. So like no one I've ever met. Well, I've met a lot of people who aren't necessarily my friends. Okay. Okay. So um, I wouldn't say that. Okay. So Meryl Streep, um, Brene Brown mm. and, uh, gosh, who else? There's a lot of fucking cool people in the world, Rachel. I know. There's so many cool people. I don't know. First thought, best thought, Victor Frankel came to mind. So hey. there you go. <laughs> awesome. So we got yeah. Victor Frankel. Mm -hmm. We have Brene Brown. Yeah. And then we have, who's the first one you said? Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep. That one caught me off guard a little bit. <laughs> My undergrad was in, my undergrad was in theater. My my first plan in life was to be an actress. So, and you were teaching right for a minute. Yeah, yeah, I was teaching theater. So, amazing, Rachel. Yeah. I want one last share from you, like something that maybe we didn't get the chance to touch on today. Hopefully, we can have a round two in the near future. But like, what is maybe one message that you want to communicate to the world and broadcast that um, that wasn't already said? Um, I think I just want to give everyone permission to rest just mm. so much permission to take a break and to just stop and to pause and, and rest. Mm. That's it. <laughs> I love that. And you definitely hit me with a lot of like very powerful ideas to wrap my head around, to get me thinking more and I definitely want to encourage everyone listening, you know, Rachel shared a lot of valuable content, a lot of valuable ideas, information, strategies for you to take action on and implement. So my biggest ask for you is to not just let all of this information go in one ear and out the other, really absorb it and see how you can implement some of these things into your life and, and continue down your unique healing journey and definitely hit up Rachel because her community is so strong. She's a powerful leader and I know she can make a huge impact in your life. Oh my goodness, Rachel, so much love to you guys. 
You already know what fucking time it is. It's time to step into your power and exchange energy. Oh, hey, you made it to the end of the show and I appreciate you so much for spending your valuable time and energy here with us today. It genuinely means the world to me. And if you were inspired by today's words, by today's message, please support the show, support the mission by sharing this episode with a friend, sharing it on social media. Tag me at Coach Jeremy and I'll reciprocate the love. And if you have an extra 12 to 14 seconds, leave a review in the iTunes store. Let me know what I can improve. How can I become better? How can I make this show even more transformational? I love you so much and I appreciate you. I genuinely, genuinely do. And you already know what time it is. It's time to stop settling for mediocrity and thrive. Peace out.